Corinthians 5.17. You ready? It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creation. I want you to underline new creation. It does not say he is a different person. It doesn't say he's turned over a new leaf. It doesn't say he's given it a go. He's having a little shot. It doesn't say he's made a New Year's resolution. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You know what the devil wants to do relentlessly? When you look in the mirror, he wants you to believe that nothing's changed. That nothing's different, that you are still the same person that you used to be doing the same things with the same habits, the same struggles, the same addictions, the same sin, the same iniquities, the same bad attitude, the same anger, the same issues. But I got to tell you, if you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Look what it says. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What we've got to do, and this is the great battle, is the great battle is we have to Look into the mirror. And even though we see ourselves, we've got to actually see beyond the image that is reflected in the mirror. And we've actually got to see that we are born again. The Bible says that that there is a new seed growing on the inside of you. It is the seed of the incorruptible Christ, the image of Christ. And every day, God, the Holy Spirit, is transforming you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You know what? When I got become born again, I became sinless. And I'd love to tell you that since then I've never sinned, but I tell you what, I do have a desire to sin less. You become sinless and you want to please God more. But I got to tell you this, despite your shortcomings, despite your failures, you just need to remind yourself, I am a new creation. Old things have passed away. Whatever habit, whatever struggle, whatever issues, whatever those things, don't let the devil stick them back on you. Don't let him pin them on you. That's not you. That's the old you. Talk to the old me. That person was washed away. That's why I love water baptism. Water baptism is like, you know, when, when we drain that water, all your old self is washed away. I love it. When the devil comes and says, Yerks, you're still the same person with the same struggles and the same attitude. No, no, no. That was all flushed down the drain. When I went into the waters of baptism, when I was born again, you're a new creation. Come on, somebody. That's good news right there. I mean, we could just kind of finish on that and I could go home and be as... Anyway, but there's, there's more. Verse 18. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to Himself and through Jesus Christ has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Can I just kind of make a point here? Jesus gave us the ministry or God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He did not give us the ministry of condemnation. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So standing on the street corner yelling and barking at people about the fact that they're sinners, you're going to burn in hell, is not the ministry of reconciliation. That's a ministry of condemnation. Jesus didn't give us a ministry of condemnation. He didn't give us the, the ministry of, you know, more holy than thou. Come on, somebody. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In fact, Jesus died on the cross to, to reconcile us back to God. So in our church, I want to give you three areas that I believe that God wants us to to find connection. The first area that C3, the first mission, the first mandate, our highest priority, our greatest objective is to connect people to God. Connect people to God. That is our highest priority. Jesus came from heaven not to start another religion. 
if you spend any time in our secular culture, if you spend any time, you know, kind of listening to the prophets of humanism in our education system, in our political system, and, you know, Hollywood or whatever, you know, piping off, you, you will kind of get the impression, and maybe some of you have, have believed this, not, not on purpose, maybe subconsciously, that Christianity is just another religion. And that, you know, really, you know, God kind of sent Jesus in the world, you know, just so that we have another option. You know, like Buddhism, but, you know, he's kind of packed on the pounds, and he? Let's start another religion, Jesus. Let's kind of get something else down there. Hinduism, not bad, not bad. Worship all the gods. Caste system, don't really work, does it? All right, let's start something else. Let's, ooh, ooh, it's gone wrong, hasn't it? Ooh, I wasn't expecting them to crucify. Ooh, that's not, like, you know, like if you listen to the world... They kind of, you know, Jesus came to start another religion but was misunderstood. And my Lord, what happened to him? They crucified him. Where was God in this whole thing? I mean, how could he let that? And, and you know, Jesus, just, Jesus did not come to start another religion. In fact, if I was honest with you, Jesus came to end religion. Jesus came to end religion because he, he wasn't coming to start religion. He was st- coming to breach a broken relationship. He was coming to heal and mend and reconcile a broken relationship. The relationship was broken because of sin. Because of sin. Sin severed the relationship between God and man. It was sin that separates us from God. I know in in Genesis chapter 3, you know, the serpent more cunning more crafty, comes to Adam and Eve and says, has God really said? And Eve says, well, God said we can eat of all the trees except that one. We can't eat of that one. We can't even touch it. We'd die. You won't die. You will not surely die. God knows the day that you eat of that tree, you'll be just like God, knowing good and evil. The Bible says when Eve looked at the tree and saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes, desirable, able to make one wise, she took and she ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her. The Bible says and the eyes of both of them were opened immediately and then they realized that they were naked so they sewed fig leaves together and they hid from the Lord because they heard him walking in the cool of the day and then God called out Adam where are you and Adam was afraid and the Lord said to him Adam why were you afraid he says I was afraid so I hid and God says to him did you eat off the tree that I commanded you not to he says the woman you can and so it's man's been blaming other people ever since and so so the the, the fig leaf I just want to kind of zero in on the fig leaf today the fig leaf is is unbelievably powerful and it gives us two incredibly powerful allegories today the first allegory that it gives us the first picture is what I mean by allegory the first illustration that it gives us is is the futility of of man to to try and fix a problem what has happened is is because of sin he has been separated from God consequentially he has realized he has no covering consequentially he realized that he is naked and so he sews fig leaves together and he kind of believes Adam and Eve kind of believe that if they can just cover up their anatomy if they can just cover up body parts that somehow that'll bring some type of reparation or restoration but the problem is not a biological problem it's not even an anatomy an anatomical problem it's a spiritual issue they've been separated from God because of sin thousands of years later nothing much has changed instead of fig leaves we have houses we have our businesses I've got a business in Zurich and I keep a fleet of sports cars over there that I drive on the autobahn and I flew here in my Learjet (laughs) and you know we kind of think that you know we kind of got all these you know all these things and they're all our coverings and we think that these these things cover us and somehow you know but but none of those things cover none of those things deal with the issue that you and I have been uh, discommunicated with the 
the relationship between us and God has been severed and broken because of sin. Sin kills. The second part of the, the fig leaf is the fig leaves were once part of a fig tree. They were removed from the fig tree. They were disconnected, if you will, from the fig tree, and they were used to cover body parts. What's interesting is they are standing in the presence of God with fig leaves covering them, and the very fig leaves that are covering them are actually communicating to God or revealing to God exactly what has happened inside of man. See, the devil said, you will not surely die, and they did not die seemingly. They did not die instantly. But the instant that those fig leaves were removed from the trees, the fig leaves began to die. The instant that Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit and sinned against God, instantly man went from being an eternal being to now man had a term. Man went from being an eternal being to a terminal being. He now has a term. He now has a lifespan and death came in. And just like if you were to look under the leaves, the leaves may have looked green, but if you looked under a microscope, you would have saw that the very, very ends, the very corners of those leaves were already beginning to shrivel up. Cells were already beginning to die. The leaves were dying. The leaves were shriveling just like man on the inside sin had come you need to understand that sin kills sin separates us from God and so we have to be a church that deals with sin but rather than just condemn people for being sinners because all have sinned come on somebody all have sinned and fall short from the glory of God so rather than us pretend that we are sinless and we've got it all together and then just kind of, you know, bark on people. Instead, we, we empathize and we know that we were forgiven by a Savior who hung on the cross. Listen, Jesus came on the cross not to start another religion. He came on the cross to redeem, to rescue us from our sin, from our depravity. He came and did it because there's no way, neither you nor me, with our works, with our fig leaves, with our mansions, with our success, no, there's nothing. With our good works, with our religious duties, there's nothing that you and I could do that could earn our way into heaven we needed a savior we needed somebody to come and wash away all our sin and Jesus the spotless lamb of God came and he hung on a cross he was a Jew but he didn't just die for Jewish people if that was the case he would have been stoned to death because that was the Jewish that was the the, the Jewish law for uh, you know capital punishment was they stoned people to death but instead Jesus was handed over to the Gentiles why for the Gentiles because he wasn't just dying for the Jewish people he was also dying for those who would come into the kingdom who would come in for the Gentiles. Jesus died for the whole world, for God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son. So Jesus went through a Roman crucifixion, nails pierced on the cross. He lived a sinless, spotless, perfect life, and yet he died like a horrible criminal. Why? Because it was our sin that put him on the cross. And I've got good news today. My sin may have put him on the cross, but his righteousness was exchanged. His love for me kept him on the cross, and he's made an exchange on that day. Do I deserve it? Not at all. That's why I don't condemn people in their sin but I understand that I have been given the ministry of reconciliation I've got good news for people out there Jesus hung on a cross you can make it to heaven you can have heaven right here right now you can have the blessing of God come upon your life because of what Jesus Christ our awesome Savior our Redeemer the great reconciler did and so there's no condemnation in our voices we've got to be a church that reaches out with good news come on somebody so our first mission is to, is to reconcile. And that's what it's all about every day. doesn't matter what sins people have committed. Jesus has washed it away. I said, Jesus has washed it away. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Oh, my sins are washed away. I love it. Forgiven, cleansed. All right, number two. Second area that I believe that God wants us to connect to as a church is in the area of the 
invisible. Come with me one chapter back, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. Invisible, what's he talking about? I'm, I'm getting there, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. 4, 18. Yell out when you're there. I apologize if I'm making you look through your Bibles this morning. Oh, I wasn't expecting to go through my Bible in chat. What, what's happening to one verse? Why is he, my fingers hurt? Which Testament is it? New Testament. 2 Corinthians 4.18. Come on, how many people know it's a good thing to be looking up Bible verses in church? A little, little bit of exercise is good for you because, you know, when the devil comes to attack you, he doesn't say, oh, oh, I didn't, oh, you don't have your Bible. Well, go and get it. Come back. All right, you're ready to duel. Hang on. Um, which testament is it? No, no, no. He's not going to. He's going to whoop on you. He's going to attack you. So you've got to make sure you know. Okay, all right. 2 Corinthians 4.18. You all there? It says this, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So Paul is saying, we don't look at the things which are seen. We look at the things which are unseen. Which sounds crazy. Well, what are you saying, Paul? I'm looking at things that I can't see, but I'm seeing them. You've been drinking, Paul. You've been out in the sunshine too long, mate. I think you've got some heat stroke right here, don't you? No, no. Paul is saying, listen. He goes, I don't set my eyes on what is seen because what is seen is temporal. I set my eyes on that which is unseen because what is unseen is eternal. So I believe that as a church, the second mission, the second mandate of our church is to connect people to the invisible, which is the eternal. See, see, we, we live in a world right now where, you know, the evolutionists and, you know, whatever will try and tell you that matter is all that matters. And matter is all that there is. And as you know, they'll, 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 they'll deny it. They're the, ones that, oh, they're the ones that are so open-minded, but their brains have fallen out. You know, but they're, they're so open-minded, but they can't, you know, you ask them, how did matter get here? Well, they can't answer it. Or how did matter get here? Well, it was it. They can't, they've got no answer. Can I just tell you, the Bible has the answer. The material world came out of the spiritual world. They want you to believe that the spiritual world, you know, was, was a figment of our imagination that came out of the material world. No, no, no. The Bible says that that which is unseen, that which is spiritual, preceded the natural world and will continue after the natural world. We were created from, an, from a spirit. The spirit of God created everything. The unseen created the seen. That which is eternal is unseen. That which is temporal is seen. And you need to understand that we live in a world where the devil knows if he can get you put your faith in what is temporal, get you to put your faith in what is seen, that you'll perish because it is temporary. It is insufficient to hold or sustain you. So he's trying to work relentlessly to get you to put your faith in your money, in your finance, in your business, in your hand, in your power. Instead, fooey, we've got to move people to look beyond their ability, beyond their skill, beyond their stuff and put their, their, their faith in an unseen God, in unseen principles. Can somebody say amen? So, so, so you need to understand that that which is seen is temporary. Or, if you will, temporary, immediate. Immediate gratification. Immaturity is where we live with immediate gratification. Maturity is where we live with delayed gratification. Let me just say that again. Immaturity is immediate gratification. Babies cry. Why? Because they need immediate gratification. They, they need immediate comfort. They need immediately to have their little soiled, you know, Diapers change. They, 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 they need to have food right now. They need to, so they, they, they cry, they scream. It's, it's, it's 
immaturity. But as we get mature, how many people know, you know, if, uh, if I'm sitting, you know, on the couch, ah! like that, and, you know, Leanne's got to quickly go and, you know, cook something up and come and stick food into my mouth, you know, something's wrong. Come on, somebody. Something's wrong. You're 45. Get a grip. But it's amazing how many people live with, ah, how many people live with, with still caught up in immediate gratification. Immediate gratification. Immediate gratification. We want it now. We want it now. We want it now. We want, I want it all. I want it all. I want it all. I want it now. Said Freddie Mercury from Queen. Who died of AIDS at 43. So I'm not sure if immediate gratification really helped Freddie Mercury. And, uh, and so, so, but we live in a world where it's, it's but, but Paul says, listen, here's what we do as Christians, as mature believers. We set our eyes on that which is invisible, not on that which is visible, because that which is visible is temporary, immediate gratification. Listen, the Bible says this in Proverbs 21, 17. It says, he who loves pleasure or literally he who loves immediate gratification will be a poor man or another translation will not be rich. Why? Because if you're constantly spending money on immediate gratification, you, you'll actually shortchange yourself, you will bankrupt yourself. The key to the future, any business person will tell you, any investment broker will tell you, the key is to have some pain today for future gain tomorrow. You, you've, got to, you've got to make some cuts. You've got to make some sacrifices. You've got to get a 401k. You've got to have an investment account. You've got to have some money that you're, you're doing without. You're cutting back some lifestyle today to put some money aside. You're making sacrifices today. Why? Because you are delaying gratification so that when you hit 60, 65, 70, whatever, when you hit retirement age, you have something that you've put aside. You can't see it. It's invisible. You can't see your future. It's beyond your grasp. And, but if you just live with, 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 with how most of the world lives with immediate gratification, with right here, right now, you will miss out on the future. That's why delayed gratification is such a powerful thing in every area of our life. So our job as a church is to give people uh, the, the power to connect with the invisible. How does God do that? I'm so glad you asked. The way that He does that is He gives you a vision. See, what a vision is, is God giving you a snapshot of the invisible. See, the kingdom of God begins invisible, but it moves towards visible. It begins as a seed, but it ends in harvest. The kingdom of God begins in the realm of the invisible. Mark chapter 4 says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man scattering seed on the ground. He goes to bed and he sleeps and he rises again and the seed grows, though he does not know how. It's unexplained. It is a mystery to him. It is, it is unseen. It's in the unseen realm. He doesn't understand how a seed goes into the ground and something happens where the seed begins, after it dies, it grows and shoots up little bright and it grows. He doesn't know how, but all he knows is at harvest time, he puts in the sickle and reaps the harvest. So you need to understand there are principles that are invisible principles that are powerful principles. And what church is called to do and what we are called to do is to, to bring you to a level of maturity, to bring you to a level of victory. And that is to move you from putting your faith and trust in that which is temporary, that which is perishing. I don't want you to be holding onto a log thinking I'm really safe. I'm holding onto this log and there's a waterfall about a hundred yards ahead and you're going to go over the waterfall. The thing is temporal. What I want you to do is standing on the bank, holding on to something that is rooted, that is strong, that is not going to go over the falls. 
And the way that that happens is you see the invisible. The invisible is, is God giving you visions. God comes to Abraham, says, Abraham, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him as a burnt sacrifice. Abraham has waited 99 years for this boy. Abraham's about 110 and he takes his little son Isaac and he puts him on an altar because Abraham understands something about God. That God is not the God of the temporary. He's the God of eternal. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that Abraham believed that even if he was to carry through and kill his son Isaac, that God would raise him from the dead because Abraham wasn't looking at the temporary loss. He was looking at the eternal benefit. And so he takes Isaac up and he puts him on the altar. And when he puts him on the altar, lifts up the knife, God says, stop, stop. For now I know that you would not withhold even your only only son. Therefore, blessing, I will bless you. Multiplying, I will multiply you. And your descendants shall be more than the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. And your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. God is speaking to him about invisible. God is speaking to him about the future. He says, your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. In your seed, Isaac, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Abraham had no idea on that day what was happening in the spirit, what was happening in eternity. He had no idea what was happening that day in the realm of the invisible. But many years later, about a thousand years later, a young man by the name of Joshua is marching around a walled city, walls 50 feet high, solid concrete, marching around the city. His, his chief generals are saying to him, are you sure you heard from God? You sure we shouldn't scale the walls or throw fire over the walls or something? What is the strategy again, Joshua? Well, God said, just march around it once a day for six days. And on the seventh day, let's do it seven times and then shout and the walls will come down. You've got the structural engineers saying, um, shouting, don't bring walls down. Have you felt them? They're pretty... But it had nothing to do, listen, it had nothing to do with what was happening right there. Listen to me. It had nothing to do with what was happening right there. It was already established on an altar on a hill in the mountains of Moriah when Abraham put his son, put his son, not immediate gratification, delayed gratification, willing to sacrifice, willing to give his only begotten son, willing, 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 to, willing to lay down eyes, willing to, to give up to God, willing to put God first. God made a promise and says, your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. Those walls could have been 100 foot high and 50 foot wide. It didn't matter. They were coming down because God made a promise in the Spirit. God made a promise to Abraham that your descendants shall possess the gates of their enemies. There wasn't a gate that could could keep the children of Israel out. There was no gate. There was no giant. There was no wall. Those walls came down. In the, in the kingdom of God, when people come into our church, my job, our job is to connect you with the invisible. Those who see the invisible do the impossible, somebody once said. I want you to live a life that exceeds your wildest imagination, your wildest dream. Why? Because God wants to visit your imagination. God wants to visit you with visions and dreams. He wants you to be prophetic. He wants you to see not that which is temporal. You talk to people that look at the temporal. Oh, the economy. Oh, it's difficult. Oh, my bank account. Ooh. And they look at the temporal. Fooey. You don't need to look at the temporal. You can look at the eternal. My God is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and in seeing provides. Greater is He that is in me than he that is in the world. We've got to shift people's dishes. Come on. Come on. 
So when we look at that which is invisible, you find that your life becomes powerful. And the Bible is all about that. The kingdom begins invisible, but it moves towards the visible. Number three, last one. Man alive, the time flies. Time flies when you're having fun. All right, the last one, number three, is godly relationships. Our job is to help people form godly relationships. Godly relationships. In Genesis 2.18, it was God who said, It's not good for man to be alone. Therefore, I will make a helper suitable for him. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 9 to 12, it says, it's, you know, Two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. Two are better than one. If one falls down, his companion can help him up. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. Two are better than one. Because if they lay down together, they can keep warm. How can one be warm alone? Two are better than one. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. You and I were created to do life with people, to do life with other people. The problem is some of us don't because we're prickly. Some of us don't because, because we, we haven't worked on our people skills. Some people super spiritualize their life so they, they can somehow think that they can abdicate or negate the responsibility to develop people skills. You need to develop people skills. You've got to be good with people. Can I just tell you, as, as a shepherd and as a pastor, I, you know, I, I'm uh, you know, constantly in, in interacting, engaging with people. I have to have good people skills. You know, well, you know, I'm not called to have good people skills. I'm just called to preach the word, brother. I would have a very small church because I understand that the, the kingdom is about people. God's love is for people. Jesus came down, and if anybody could have come down and said, uh, and, and, you know, kind of did this ministry thing by themselves, you know, solo, it, it was him. Come on, even Han Solo had Chewbacca. The Lone Ranger had Tonto. So I don't know why we kind of think, you know, well, I can do it my I can do it my way. I don't know why we think we can kind of go through life on our own. Jesus comes, and the first thing he does is he builds a team. He built it. Why? Because he needed a team. He needed people around about him. I don't believe he needed anything. He did because he was going to heaven. He had three years and he had, to, he had to translate. He had to impart. He had to build up. He had to release into these guys to carry on the work. If Jesus built a team, if Jesus surrounded himself with people, well, that were just his workers. That were just his staff. No, it wasn't. If you read your Bible in John, Jesus says, listen, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. I call you friends. Jesus built friendships. You and I are required to build friendships. If you've got bad breath, bad attitude, negative, prickly, all pessimistic, get offended really easy, you're going to find that you're actually you're shortchanging yourself on kingdom advancement. You're shortchanging yourself on what God is able to do in you and through you. You and I have to develop people skills because our third area of mission in our church is to help people develop godly relationships. Now, let me just talk about that. There's a powerful principle in the Bible that who you're connected to releases what's in you. Your connections release what's in you. Abraham comes to Melchizedek and he gives a tithe to Melchizedek. He, 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 he comes and Melchizedek releases something in him. God plants Melchizedek in his world. There are people that God will bring into your life, pastors and leaders that God will bring into your life and, and their, their assignment in heaven is to bring out of you, is to, to release in you or release to you what God has for you. But you have to make a decision who you align your life with, who you build your life with. 
Our job in this church is we can't just make people be your friend and we can't make you be other people's friends. All we can do is guide. All we can do is assist. We want to help you make great choices. Unfortunately, you know, we, we don't always make great choices. So you need to understand Joseph is in prison and the butler and the baker comes and he interprets their dreams. It's amazing when you look at Joseph, he, the Bible doesn't say that he's connecting with, he's associating with the scum of the prison, with the, with the murderers and with the, but he's the prison guard, he's in favour with the prison guard. And then when the butler and the baker come, he aligns himself with them. Joseph, when he was in Potiphar's house, could have slept with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife comes to him, Joey, Joey, I've just been to Victoria's Secret. And the secret is, the more you pay, the less material there is. Now here's the deal. In Egypt, the penalty for adultery is death. The penalty for adultery for a woman, I should say, is death. Not for a man, for a woman. So she ain't telling anybody. This is a free lunch. She ain't going to tell anybody. Nobody would know. Joseph and part of his wife were alone in the house. But Joseph understood the power of connection, the power of relationships. If he would have had relationship with her, if he would have made his connection with her, if he would have made his bed, excuse the pun, with her, he would have never become who he was meant to be. He would have shortchanged his destiny and he would have ended his, his, his career there. Instead, he understood, sweetheart, my life, you're, you're, you belong to your husband, not to me. Your husband's given me everything except for you because you belong to him. This is an inappropriate connection. This is an ungodly connection. I'm looking to build godly connections. So he interprets the dreams of others while his own dreams seem to be in jeopardy, while his own dreams seem to be in all kinds of disarray. I mean, he had these dreams of greatness, but here he is in a prison for a crime he did not commit. And he's surrounded by sewer and rats and lice wondering how this, but he's interpreting the dreams because he refuses to connect with. The Bible says in Proverbs 13 verse 20, Two, I think it is. It says, he who walks with the wise will be wise, but a companion of fools will be destroyed. Who are you connecting with? In fact, if you tell me who your friendships are, I can tell you who your future is. Our job in this church is to help you build godly connections and godly relationships, godly fellowship. We are called to, to walk with other people. Life works better with other people. Jesus came to connect us, not just to, to him, but also to one another. Some people say, well, you know, all I need is Jesus. All I need is God. Even Jesus didn't come with that mentality. Well, you know, brother, I, you know, Jesus just came and he did miracles and people recognize his ministry. No, no, that's, that's not what happened. John the Baptist pointed Jesus out. It's John the Baptist on, in the Jordan and Jesus walking on the banks. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away. John the Baptist pointed Jesus out. Jesus comes to John in the Jordan River and, and you know, takes off his sandals and he's, you know, out of coming and then kind of wades into the water out to John. And John's baptizing people and he looks up and it's Jesus. He says, what are you doing here? I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. I'm not even worthy to baptize you. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, John, permit it to be so for now, for we must fulfill all righteousness. See, John's baptism was a baptism for the remission of sin. For the remission of sin. To put sin in remission. Because how many people know that Jesus had a whole bunch of Actually, he didn't have any. He was sinless. 
He was a sinless, blameless, righteous, spotless Son of God. No sin in His life. And yet He's coming into the water to be baptized publicly. Oh, I wonder what sins He's committed. Everyone stand there. And Jesus, and Jesus says to John, listen. He says, I can't be exalted unless I'm first humbled. I can't be elevated unless I first submit. So he submits under John's ministry. John baptizes him. Then heaven opens. Then the Spirit descends like a dove. And God says, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. And even then, Jesus' first two disciples come from John. It's John that points Jesus out. See, the Bible says a man is valued by what others say of him. We're not valuable what I say. Well, you know, I've done this and I've done that. And I, I, and I, and I, and me, me, me. It doesn't matter what I say. But when you go for a job interview, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter how you, 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 the future employer will try and get two or three references. Why? Because the Bible says a man is valued by what others say of him. Each man will proclaim his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Employers want to find someone who's faithful, faithful in their duty, faithful in their task, faithful with responsibility, faithful to turn up on time. So they'll they'll ask other people. They'll get references from other people. Who's pointing you out? That's why we have a system. Leadership in this church and, you know, future in this church is based upon submitting yourself, getting under like a connect group structure and where other people can speak into your life and then people can bring a report. Somebody say amen. Amen. 